Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running, even if you've been injured. Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Barbara Peterson about injury recovery and what it takes to bounce back to championship status from a catastrophic injury. Barbara is a friend, a six-time world champion of the famous off-road triathlon Xterra. Barbara continually demonstrates that being fit, focused, ambitious, and happy is achievable and accessible for everyone, even an athlete with injury. Barbara has a master's degree in clinical psychology and Eastern philosophy, and Barbara utilizes her academic athletic and life experience to help people focus on the benefits and fuel derived from exercise and barbara's practice is sports psychology as well as medical recovery counseling she works as a motivational speaker and she's the author of multiple books relating to health and well-being that can help athletes recover better barbara thanks for being on the call today and if you could maybe you could just give us a little additional background on you and your athletic history so happy to be here with you chris my friend and doctor for that catastrophic injury. And you've also helped my family with, uh, well, my two daughters with their catastrophic injuries. So I think we know you pretty well, and I think you know us pretty well. As far as my athletic history goes, I grew up in a very athletic and outdoor-oriented family. And when I got out of college, I found myself in Mill Valley, California, and becoming very close friends with the whole group of pioneers of the mountain bike, at which point I got very involved with mountain biking and mountain bike racing. And in a nutshell, that is what led me to Xterra, which is what I still do now, um, which is off-road triathlon. Yeah, so you're still super involved with that, right? So, I mean, you've been doing this for a number of years. I mean, you're a six-time world champion, so it's not like, you know, you just started doing this yesterday, but you're also, not only are you still doing it, you're still doing it very competitively, right? So what about some of your recent races? Can you tell us what's been going on with those? Yeah, sure. Well, I'll I'll happily tell you first that on Saturday, I'm competing in, at Xterra Nationals which is actually being called the Xterra Pan America Championships. But for me, that's my 121st Xterra. So there have been a lot of them in my life, and I have had a history of tremendous success. And I've also had some races where I haven't done quite as well for a couple of different reasons, sometimes mechanical, sometimes I wasn't well. And there are other times when the competition was unexpectedly good and it is what it is which is called sport but <laughs> i am i am still very competitive i train as a senior athlete uh as if i were a pro athlete and it's very much part of my life and my lifestyle yeah so it seems like you've been able to take that life and your lifestyle and you know not just incorporate it into what you do but also um, you've been able to use that to help a lot of other people. You know, that's a, a lot of what I want to talk about with you today and why I was excited to do this call because, you know, obviously the whole goal of this podcast is to help injured runners figure out what they need to do and how they can run, how they can train, how they can stay active and all those things. And it's really something that only somebody who's really been injured can actually understand. The first time we met, I, I remember that you were actually sitting literally in a wheelchair in your kitchen. And you had just been injured and been given some pretty terrible news. And if, if I remember right, you were actually at the time 
getting ready to go defend your European title um, when you got injured. The morning that you woke up and, you know, before you got injured that morning, what was your plan for the day? Long story short, I basically had the bike in the hallway, had the airporter coming at three in the morning to head out to Exterra, Switzerland, because I actually wanted to claim my ninth European title um, over there. And right before going to bed, which was about 11 at night, I wanted to get um, a particular gift for the race director. So I free climbed in my closet, located the gift, and at that point lost my footing. And I was about 14 feet high possibly 16 feet because we have an open type closet and I fell like a parachuter's jump like right on two feet and I have never experienced pain like that. I was screaming at the top of my lungs and my daughter came running and so did my husband and I basically started to say I'll be okay, I'll be okay and we had this cooler in the kitchen that had all the food had been taken out, but it still had ice and water in it. And my husband brought that and said, just put your feet in this cooler. So I did, and I went to sleep, and I woke up in the middle of the night and tried to go to the bathroom and felt like um, my my feet had turned to stone, and I couldn't go to the bathroom. That's when I pretty much realized that I, I had done some serious damage and that I wasn't going to be going to Europe and that I needed to um, see somebody in an emergency type format in the morning. So you went to the doctor, uh, they looked at you and what did they find? Like what, what were you diagnosed with? In the emergency room yeah. in Berkeley, I was told that I had two broken heels and at that point I just... I was slightly in a state of shock, but I also accepted like, wow, that really was a fall. And at that point, they gave me crutches. And I kind of looked at them and I was like, I think I need a wheelchair because these crutches aren't going to make anything happen. One thing led to the next. Um, I had to see someone in the area where I lived and I would just say it went from bad to worse. I was given one fracture boot when I had two fractured heels and it, it wasn't until Chris Segler was discovered which was I think four or five days into this that I realized I was supposed to keep the fracture boot on throughout the night that I probably needed two fracture boots not one um that yeah I had some issues to deal with um, if I ever wanted to walk correctly and maybe someday compete again. Well, you know, heel bone fractures are a really serious thing. And so, you know, they're terrible for anyone. And when I was little, my grandfather broke his heel bone. And I actually still clearly remember it. And the deal was is that it, it was my brother's birthday. And for his birthday, he got one of these little rockets that you fill it up with water and then you pump up the handle and then the rocket shoots skyward. And we went over to show my grandparents, went over to their house and the rocket shot up and of course landed on the roof. And my grandfather got out this old wooden ladder and he climbed up on the roof to get the rocket. And when he was stepping off of the roof and onto the ladder, the ladder shifted and he fell. And I thought he broke his leg. I still can clearly like visualize him on the sidewalk moaning in pain and at the time I just remember him being a cast for several weeks like he took us to the circus and he was on crutches and had a cast and I just thought he had a broken leg I really didn't know but I wouldn't you know I was six or seven at the time anyway so I wouldn't have really understood the significance of a broken heel versus a broken leg but 
years later, after I was done with residency, and my grandfather had already passed away at that point, but I was having dinner with my grandmother, and I explained to her that I had done surgery that day on somebody with a broken heel bone that had to be put back together. And she said, oh, did you know that's what happened to your grandpa? And I actually didn't know that. And she explained to me that she said, yeah, when your brother shot that rocket up on the roof and he fell down, he broke his heel. And she said, you know, he never had another step his entire life without pain after that. And I, I also had no idea about that. So he had, I had never once heard him complain about it, but you know, he was very active. He walked many miles a day well into his 80s, but that is a really serious thing. And so it had really affected him. But, you know, he didn't let that interfere with his life, but I also know those are really serious injuries. And so having treated patients with those, I know that it can be really bad. And when I met you, I remember <laughs> you had said that one of the doctors you saw said, you'll never run again. He said I might not ever walk Correctly. Again, and I tell you, as I'm saying this right now to you, Chris, I have chills running up my entire body. I will never forget that. And I, I didn't know what to do. Honestly. Yeah. So that's, you know, one of the things is like you have the injury, you have the physical damage that has happened to you, you know, the fracture of the bone or the tear in the tendon or whatever it might be. And that has to heal. But at the same time, there's this other piece of it that happens to people that most doctors don't even talk about, which is, you know, the psychological impact that that has on you. And I think that, you know, as physicians, we're actually taught that we're supposed to tell you the worst case scenario. And I hear this virtually every time I'm lecturing at a medical conference, I hear some speakers say, well, just tell the patients the worst case scenario. And then if they get better faster, or if they can run, or if they can walk or whatever, then you'll look like a hero. The problem is, is that to somebody who's a world champion triathlete, when you tell them you may not ever run again, or you may not even walk again, that can be so crushing that you never overcome it. And I don't think that many doctors even consider the impact that that negativity can have on a patient. And, you know, and so we talked about it, but I said, you know, I don't know if it's true that you're never going to run again. I said, I think you'll run. You know, I, I don't know if you'll win another championship or not. We'll just have to see. But obviously, we'll have to do a whole lot of things uh, to try to get you better so that you can. And we'll have to be really creative. But obviously, the goal needs to be moving forward, not thinking about what you're not going to be able to do. You know, obviously, things improved for you and you did get better. But, you know, that's the thing is that it seems like one of the things that most physicians just completely miss is that that it's crucial to a patient's recovery to, you know, to understand the emotion behind the kind of injuries. And every athlete is more biology, not machine. And and the emotional and mental attitude that stems from that emotion can greatly influence the healing process. And I think you have to take control of that when you're a patient because you can't expect most doctors to do it for you. That's exactly right. But I think like one of the things that helped me so much, I have to say, our listeners need know that you didn't pay me to say this, but you made it very clear from the beginning, we as a team, you know, as the, as the doctor and as the patient together are going to do our best to make the outcome optimal. And I always remember you using the word optimal and you, you said, if um, I can keep my chin up and if I would let you do everything you could do uh, medically to help me chances are the outcome would be good. And I have to say that, so I myself was gifted with like a positive type attitude, let's say, but you, I do have to 
pat you on the back, Chris, to say that you really gave me promise. And part of that was that you told me, and I'll never forget it, right then and there, that you were going to do everything you could to make sure the outcome was optimal. And it did make a difference for me. Well, that's just it. Is that you know that that really is it? You have to have a doctor that's on your team. I don't have anybody in my life. There's nobody in my life that's involved in my life who I don't believe is interested in the things that are best for me and those around us. You know, I think it's really positive people surrounding you is really, really crucial. I don't think there are lots of world champion athletes in any discipline that are surrounded by people that keep telling them they can't do something. Right. I that's think, right. Uh, I just think that's it. I don't. I don't think that there are many Olympians that have friends, family members, coaches, anyone that says, no, you can't win that. Why are you going to Rio? Mm -hmm. Uh, It just doesn't work that way. It does confuse me when I hear other doctors and I read journal articles or, or things in textbooks that suggest that we should tell patients that they in fact shouldn't get better when we don't know that that's true. If you know that it's not true, I believe that that's obviously the best thing to do. So if somebody has a spinal cord injury and there's no possible way that any doctor would believe they're ever going to walk again, it would be irresponsible, obviously, to tell them they're going to run. But when somebody has an injury and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, there's no reason to say, well, you'll just never run again. So why don't you get used to that? Because it's not helpful to your cause of wanting to run again. So I know that that had to be a really difficult thing for you, but you did take action right away. So, you know, we we said, okay, well, what can you do? And we tried to figure out, well, what can Barbara actually do right now? And so I think the next day you sent a picture to me where you were sitting in a wheelchair by the pool with your fracture walking boots on and you swam like two miles or something the next day. Well, actually... It's a little different and it's really wonderful. This I'll also never forget. So you put a cast on in my kitchen because you're Doc on the Run. You come to people's homes and everything. And then two days later, I told you that I thought I, I got it wet. Like I don't know exactly what I was doing. And you said, well, let's cut it off. And you guided me so that I could get it off. And maybe this is okay to say or it's not okay to say. But then I said, but... What I really like to do is not have a cast on and get my fracture boots wet. I'd like to swim. And would it be okay as long as I'm wearing these fracture boots? And your response was, knock yourself out. (laughs) I'll never forget it. It was like, yeah, it's all okay, Barbara. You can move your body as long as your feet and your legs are in those fracture boots. And then it was you who who came up with the idea of, well, I can tell you're the you're someone who's going to swim every day here. So why don't we get you two pair of fracture boots? Because you cannot be sitting in a pair of wet pair. And honestly, just your um, willingness and positive nature, I I tell you, it was part of my healing process. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. But it seems like the the thing that really happened with you is that you pretty quickly shifted from. You know, it sounds like even in the emergency room, basically, you shifted kind of from this, okay, I'm going to go defend my European title and I'm in pursuit of this athletic goal to your pursuit of a real active recovery to get the best possible outcome. And it seemed like you were able to switch that pretty quickly. And I think switching, you know, your path quickly is really helpful. And I think it's helpful for athletes at all levels. And I, I read this all the time in articles from coaches and where they'll say, you have to have a key goal for your race, but you also have to have sort of a, a plan B. 
because, you know, if you race enough, something's going to go wrong. You know, you can. Right. Uh, so I drank the water in Mexico the night before an Ironman. That's not really the best way to hydrate. You know? um, yeah. So I had to have a plan B because the whole goal that I had when I woke up that morning and felt sick was clearly not going to happen. And you have to be able to redirect very quickly if you want things to go well. You know, it seems like when athletes prepare for a whole season and they train for months and months, they understand about having these sort of different levels of goals. But then when somebody gets injured, it seems like they have one single goal that they're having a hard time letting go of and having a difficult time redirecting their focus in a way that's positive for them. How did you make that shift? Is it just because of your background in sports psychology or because you've done so many races? What do you think it was that helped you switch so quickly? You're listening to the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Runner's Heel Pain, self-diagnosis and self-treatment written by the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain. When runners with heel pain get help from Dr. Segler through a virtual doctor visit, they ask the same questions. How do I know I really have plantar fasciitis? What do I have to do to get my heel pain to go away? How can I stay fit and keep running while I heal my plantar fasciitis? Dr. Segler wrote the book on runner's heel pain specifically so any runner like you could get the same answers he gives to patients he sees in person. He wanted to create a way you could get $500 worth of expert advice for less than the cost of a copay right now, without waiting for some doctor's office to open. Runner's Heel Pain, Self-Diagnosis and Self-Treatment. This book will teach you exactly how the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain helps runners run and heal. Get the Kindle version on Amazon today for only $14.95. All right, welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. Because of your background in sports psychology or because you've done so many races, what do you think it was that helped you switch so quickly? Well, I, I think that might be my mental makeup in a certain way, although I'd have a hard time imagining other people just giving in right then and there. Although, honestly, you and I both know that most people succumb or surrender to the situation and they don't think outside the box. But immediately, I mean, it was like, duh, I'm not going to Europe. I'm definitely not going to do my activity that is more natural for me to do. So what can I do? I really chose to focus on what can I do, not only for healing, but to get my needs met, you know, my physical out athletic, active needs met. And that's when I think before I went swimming, I figured out that I could do leg lifts, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was doing like a thousand leg lifts. And I was, you know, doing these little yoga bends and such from the wheelchair. I just, it's it for me, it's what, what can you do? Not what can't I do? And I tried to really go forward with that perspective and that attitude. I know it's it's difficult, right? It's a rough shift. And one of the one of the things I really remember from our first meeting was that as soon as we talked about the fact that yeah, there's you know, I don't see any way that you're going to be out of these fracture boots in less than a month. You sighed and said, "Well, I guess I'll finally get to finish writing that book I've been working on." And mm-hmm. by coincidence, you had been working on a book on bed rest. And there you are basically more or less stuck on bed rest, you know, in a wheelchair. So it's, you know, kind of uh, ironic, but, 
but there was your opportunity. But then we we had a talk also then about the importance of real rest and that, you know, this does happen with lots of athletes where they get injured and so they immediately try to shift their focus and energy to some kind of work project or something that may or may not have a realistic deadline and they might stress themselves out so much with that additional project that they're really not adequately resting. You know, once it really settled in and you realize that you, you know, had you really did have a serious injury, you know, what were you doing to really facilitate the rest? Because, you know, it's just you have to recover as quickly as possible. So what, what did you shift, if anything, to make sure that you're getting adequate rest then? Well, uh, it's a great point. And I agree with you that it is very important uh, not to just blaze on, you know, and pretend in a way nothing's really wrong, even though obviously there's a major injury going on. So I would say a couple of things. Well, one is uh, psychologically or emotionally and or emotionally accepting life suddenly changed. I'm not as um, fully able as I was 24 hours ago. So I have to accept it and make the most of it. And I am going to have to rest a little bit. There are going to be limits. It's just the way life is sometimes. I think it's unfortunate when certain people just can't accept that, quote, life happens at times. In, in my case, well, it went along the lines of the books that I have written on being bedridden and being immobilized. At a certain point, you just have to rechannel your energy, accept the situation, make the most of it, find times to be very quiet, and also find times when it's appropriate to be active in whatever way that's possible given this injury. So you were obviously able to do that. I mean, you were swimming a lot, you were doing all these exercises at home, and you were really putting a lot of effort into being creative and figuring out how to really get back to training and, and maintain your strength and not just wither away as most people would after this kind of injury. You know, that takes a lot of different things. Obviously, you have to be active, you have to rest, and, and you have to have appropriate nutrition. Yeah. I mean, no athlete's confused about this. Nobody reaches any kind of elite level of competition without a focus on nutrition. Was there anything in particular? I mean, I know obviously somebody like you has a great diet, but was there anything in particular that you changed with your nutrition specifically? to help facilitate your recovery that was something you weren't doing as a normal part of your routine? Or was your nutrition, you know, as an athlete, sufficient to really facilitate the recovery that you had from the injury? Great question, because in fact, there were some major shifts. And some of that you and I discussed at length because I wasn't sure about what I could do and I knew I wanted to do something. So we discussed um, bone meal and I, I had somebody go out for me and get bone meal from, I think it was Whole Foods. I did a special calcium tablet. I ate a lot of vegetables and not as much fruit because that was fruit with so much sugar. Mm -hmm. Vegetables contained a lot of calcium and potassium and magnesium for the healing process. And I'm just going to go back for two seconds about resting and how it also integrates with nutrition and expanding myself to accommodate the serious injury, I would say it's really important to have respect for an injury and what it really does take to heal. And I think I would say I got an A plus in terms of 
respecting the situation. But I have to say, I also had the greatest doctor. So it wasn't hard to respect the parameters that you set for me. And then together, some of the more wild um, aspects. And by wild, I mean just thinking outside the box. I did not have to sit there inactive. But I did have to find um, a sweet balance. And that was being active so that I felt somewhat physically and spiritually fulfilled, finding the rest required to promote healing, and finding a sense of contentment in the context of, I'm injured, and they're not, it's not just any injury. These are calcaneous heels. It's not just one, it's two. And I'll never forget either that you t- explaining to me, just think about eggshells, Barbara. Every time you might want to do something you're not supposed to do, which it was really not my case, but somebody else might might want to just go for it in a way that was inappropriate. Just think about what it would be to have eggshells around your feet and they were trying to heal. And that really, I guess for me, established a context in which to make the best of bilateral heel fractures. No, it's it's very difficult, right? But, you know, you talked about this sort of finding the sweet spot or the balance in between, you know, letting your body recover, but then also maintaining a level of activity that's appropriate for you to still heal, but maintain some, you know, physical and spiritual um, life that you're used to. And, and I really... And truly believe that most athletes, people that are chronically active, that have had a lifetime of activity, if you just completely stop all their activity, lots of bad things happen. You get weak, you get stiff, and many of us get depressed. Because I was going to say grouchy too, but you're you're well, yeah, it's, it. and it's more than that. It's you know, a clinical depression happens a lot when athletes just stop exercising because it completely changes our hormonal balance, and so that is a thing that's unique to athletes, but it's something that has to be considered. People who are habitually sedentary, the bulk of America, you know, that doesn't really exercise on a daily basis, when you tell them just to sit still, it doesn't change much. And their cortisol levels don't go up the same way that it does for an athlete who completely stops exercising. But, you know, I'm the same way. I exercise all the time. So if I don't exercise for a few days in a row, everybody around me seems to know it. (laughs) And to not exercise for weeks would be a terrible thing for me. But then, you know, it's not just about being grumpy or grouchy, though. The problem is, is that when an athlete stops exercising and their stress hormones go up and this hormonal imbalance starts to actually negate the healing process, you have a bigger problem. And so trying to find ways for you to be active is a part of the recovery, I think. You know, if you're going to get back to activity, you have to keep that stuff in balance before you can start doing all this strengthening that will allow you to return to activity. That's a big thing that I I see with athletes is that we're told by lots of doctors that rest is the opposite of activity. And for people like you and for most athletes who are actually competing, Rest is somewhere in between. It's being active, but it's not completely sitting still. And the completely sitting still is also not good for us because you have to get back to activity. And the activity that that we're talking about is high-level athletic activity. And you can't just be sedentary for a month or two and then expect to ramp up and return to that. 
you know, that kind of brings us to the next thing to talk about, and that's strengthening before return to activity. And we've all had experiences being injured and having some doctor tell us, well, just use pain as your guide. And mm-hmm. I remember when I had uh, had a reconstructive knee surgery and been immobilized for a prolonged period of time, and I wanted to run, I wanted to get back in the gym, and I wanted to do lots of stuff. And he just said, well, use pain as your guide. And I still remember sitting in his office thinking, what does that mean? What do you mean use pain as my guide? Because Every time I run, I feel pain at some level if I'm doing it correctly. Every time I lift weights, I feel pain at some level if I'm doing it correctly. So what does that mean? Like, just, I I don't get it. You know, just like training for a key race, the racing season itself, we know that it's better to have a stepwise progression, you know, specific strengthening of muscle groups that supports the activities that you need to participate in. And we know that core strength is something that you can work on even if your foot is injured. So you were doing that right away. And it seems like it's best to... First of all, apply your efforts to strengthen everything that's going to support that injured limb before you return to full training, and that's really what you were doing. So what do you think were the most helpful things that you did that actually were allowing you to get back to running and training? Because you, you did get back to those things pretty quickly, and then you were training again pretty quickly once you were able to run. So you know, did you ease into running, or what were your first runs like after you actually started running again? And then how did you progress it so that you could get your volume back up and feel confident that you're okay to run? You're listening to the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Runner's Heel Pain, self-diagnosis and self-treatment written by the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain. When runners with heel pain get help from Dr. Segler through a virtual doctor visit, they ask the same questions. How do I know I really have plantar fasciitis? What do I have to do to get my heel pain to go away? How can I stay fit and keep running while I heal my plantar fasciitis? Dr. Segler wrote the book on runner's heel pain specifically so any runner like you could get the same answers he gives to patients he sees in person. He wanted to create a way you could get $500 worth of expert advice for less than the cost of a copay right now, without waiting for some doctor's office to open. Runner's Heel Pain, Self-Diagnosis and Self-Treatment This book will teach you exactly how the world's leading expert on runner's heel pain helps runners run and heal. Get the Kindle version on Amazon today for only $14.95. All right, welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. You did get back to those things pretty quickly, and then you were training again pretty quickly once you were able to run. So, you know, did you ease into running, or what were your first runs like after you actually started running again? And then how did you progress it so that you could get your volume back up and feel confident that you're okay to run? Okay, yeah, you just used the keyword confidence. So I think... um, Again, going back to our earlier discussion about teamwork, I mean, knowing that your doctor's there for you, knowing that your doctor knows what he or she is doing is a big part of feeling confident to get back. So I remember you set out a plan for my my return to walking, and I had to be in a pool, and I had to have the fracture boots on, and you said that I would have to start with 10 minutes. I think it was five minutes, actually. And I was like, well, yeah, no problem, you know, five minutes. Well, I couldn't do it. I actually, it really, it did hurt, and I didn't feel strong enough, and I kind of, well, not kind of, I do remember calling you, and you said, it's fine, it's going to take a progression. And I said, yep, it is, and I'm shocked by it. Well, let me back up and just say I was 100% confident that 
the time I gave to the healing and your assessment of my healing um, was I was healed. Like the fractures were healed. I could begin activity. So that's number one, just knowing from the medical perspective, well, from the doctor, that it's okay to continue and that you know in your own heart you've gave it enough time. That was step one. Step two, no pun intended, was the progression and not pushing it but not giving up and really going after it maybe two times a day, maybe four times a day. So once I was able to walk and it was awkward and it hurt a little bit, I just decided with your permission that I I would start to run. And that was, again, I'll just say after a series of walks. So I went to a place that I loved. I went all alone. I did not want anyone to see me, and I just began to do what it was I wanted eventually to do. So I started running, but it wasn't, quote, running. It was something different. I would never want to be videoed or anything, but one day after the next, after the next, after the next, it started to come back. And when you know you're healed, when you know that you're training, training is really not the right word, just working towards um, doing something to find normalization, um, it comes. Yeah. The body does heal. Well, it's difficult to, to be patient for that you know, return if you haven't been through it. But you know, I, I've been through it. I've had surgery. I've had other things happen to me and uh, other kinds of injuries. And it is very difficult. It's easy now that I've been through it a couple of times. So I, I had surgery about a year ago and I couldn't run or exercise for three weeks. And three weeks is a really long time for me to not exercise. And the first time I went out and ran after that, I, I was running much slower than I would normally run even during an Ironman, you know? So, I mean, it was really slow, but that's what it was. But I didn't beat myself up about it. I just realized, well, you know, you've had surgery and you haven't run and this will change. And it changes very, very quickly. But yes. it's very difficult, yes. you know, to not believe the Garmin that I'm looking at and call that my new reality. It's just the reality of the moment. But it's so hard. But I think, Chris, don't you agree, though, the word respect kind of sums it up. I mean, you just... An injured individual has to respect the process. I mean, when you respect the process and you know that you're doing everything and it is a progression, well, I guess respect and trust because we do heal and we can come back, especially if it's an athlete yeah. who's recovering. I mean, the, the harder issue is when people, you know, aren't, don't have a history of athletics and that's the you know more along the lines of the kind of work I do, where it's really like sedate people who have to try to recover. Well, for them, just taking one step at a time and getting back to something quasi normal, it's for them like doing an Ironman. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, I mean, probably for you when you had your surgery a year or so ago, and I had my bilateral heel fractures. There's a certain level of respect, and healing is the name of the game, and then time. Right. Yeah, you have to understand all those pieces, right? And you do have to understand that things are going to get better. You know, you are going to get faster. 
things are going to come around again. You are going to feel like you're you when you run again and not somebody that, um, you know, wouldn't want to be videotaped, like you said. But, you know, it's interesting because we all think about that. You know, it's not just like how fast we're going, but it's how it feels and how we think it looks. And I think it was about eight months after your actual injury, you know, and that you had been told that you'd, you know, probably never run again by a doctor. Then about eight months later, I went to Hawaii for the Xterra World Championships. And I really only remember two things about it. One of them was it was the year Lance Armstrong was racing. And Mm -hmm. I remember standing in transition and seeing Lance Armstrong come in off the bike and take off on the run. And I think he was in second place at the time. And then I remember after the race, what you said to me was, well, you know, Chris, I mean, I guess if you really knew me, then at the end, you could tell I was limping a little bit. You know, and you said, what do you think? And I said, I don't think it gets any better than world champion. And, you know, that's the thing is that it's all about perspective, right? So, so you did win, you have won a bunch of times since, and you're still you, you're still the same person, you're still the same energy, and you still do all the same things that you love. And so now you also have taken all that, it seems, and been able to help lots of other people. And so, you know, what are you doing now in terms of helping other athletes and those who have been injured? And what sort of work are you doing so that you can help other people? Okay, well, the venues that I'm using are, it's multifold, but writing and books. And the second edition did finally come out. And it was way more about immobility than bed rest, having been more immobilized than bedridden by these bilateral heel fractures. So that that book and the clientele that that has brought to me from pregnant women who are bedridden due to high-risk pregnancies or preterm labor, or people who have been injured, or people who have been through surgeries that limit them and then they have to return to some kind of level of activity. I not only help them with counseling and just attitudinally, but I also do house visits and meet them also in different clinics. I work at a particular clinic that's a back surgery clinic and that's with mostly non-athletes and that's really a lot of psychotherapy almost just to explain that, you know, if you trust, if you respect, if you visualize what it is you really expect to do and want to do at the end of this injury, um, you'll get there. And we just have to set that goal, and then we have to work real hard to get there. Um, But these are the steps we can take, and this is your daily attitude, prayer, or, you know, something along those lines. So then there are some other um, venues that I've been involved with through Kind Healthy Snacks, Um, just working with all sorts of um, people of all ages, Oh, just to promote wellness. So it's beyond injury, but it's really just living life with respect and goals and healthful practices and happiness, not only from the individual perspective, but just from an ability to expand that energy, a positive energy outward to a community, to a school, to 
the world, uh, it's very positive. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting stuff. So uh, for those who could use your help in terms of recovering either from an injury or if they're just pursuing an athletic goal, what's the best way for people to find out about you and learn more about how you can help them? Probably the best way is to go onto my website, which is Project Be Moved. No spaces, just Project Be Moved, which I will say is a lot of what we've been talking about. You know, there's movement and then there's being moved by life, by athletics, by wellness, by recovery. And I think that's um, so much a part of life. You know, what I said about my bilateral heel fractures, whether it be on um, Facebook or articles I wrote, or even in my second edition of the bed rest book, it really gets summed up by, quote, life happens. So my project Be Moved is kind of about being moved by life and moving in life. Well, that's great, Barbara. So head over to projectbemoved.com. You can reach out to her. Thank you very much for coming on to the uh, the podcast to share with us today on the podcast about how it is that you can actually recover from a real catastrophic injury and not just return to activity, but also get back to running and competing at a world championship level. My pleasure. And thank you for all that you gave to me and all that you continue to give to so many others. It's, it's what I think life is all about. Thank you, Chris. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.